This past Monday marked the third anniversary of the death of my friend, our friend, Steve Dykstra. He was 56 years old when he died. He worked here at the church caring for the facilities, tending to the grounds. He was a kind human being with a capacious heart for so many different kinds of people. To know him was to love him. Four years ago, he was diagnosed with ALS, a neurodegenerative disease, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. I can remember so vividly the morning, it was a Sunday morning, when he told me our hearts broke. Together we cried, together. Four years ago, he was diagnosed. Three years ago, this Monday, he died. My friend Rick and I, who knew and loved Steve so much, on Monday morning we got together and we kind of walked around the grounds of this place, remembering different moments with Steve, moments of significance where they had taken place. So we sat out on the Adirondacks and Adirondack chairs on Pillar's front lawn. That's where I offered Steve the job. It was like I had offered him the whole world. How many times did he go up and down that lawn on that riding lawnmower making sure there was a place, a green pasture for anyone who wanted to sit there? We walked over to the northwest corner of what's now the parking lot. Before it was a house, we called it the Dykstra House. In the back of that house uh, was a big tree and I can remember so clearly Steve hiking Jake Helder's bike up into that tree because he didn't lock his bike. Jake, lock your bike. And then on the front lawn of that same house, that's where... Rick and I met the morning after he died. That's where we first cried together. So we were just walking around, remembering Steve, celebrating his life, grieving his death, so much gratitude for the impact he had on our lives. We made our way over to Dimnit Chapel, too. While Pillar's building was under construction, we worshipped over at Dimnit Chapel on Hope's campus just like a block away. Steve treated it like it was the Sistine Chapel It was 10.30 on Monday morning as we walked over there. I was in a totally different world and completely forgot that the college community was gathering in that space to worship that morning. So we walked in, and I'm kind of confused by all the students getting in my way on their campus. And I start talking to other people, distract. That's not really what we had on our hearts. So we decided to sneak out. As we were leaving, the the chapel band started playing a song a song I think you might know. We might even sing it together before our time is out. For now, this is the third Sunday in the season of Eastertide, that glorious seven-week season that Christians set their hearts to Alleluia singing. It's the fulcrum of human history. It's the hinge on which all of faith turns. It's the cataclysmic moment in the universe. So I want you to listen with me to a resurrection story that might just knock your socks off. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. Mary was the one who had anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, He whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard the message, he said, This illness does not lead to death. 
but rather to God's glory that the Son of God might be glorified through it accordingly. Though he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And his disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you there, and you want to go there again? And Jesus said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I must go and awaken him. They said, Lord, if he's only sleeping, he'll be all right. Jesus, though, was speaking of his death. They thought he was merely referring to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I was not there for your sake, that you may come to believe, but now let us go to him. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go and die with him. When he came to Bethany, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles journey, and many of the Jews had come to console Martha and Mary about their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran to meet him, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask him. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and told Mary privately, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And Mary got up quickly and went to meet him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews saw Mary get up, they went out with her, thinking she was going to the tomb to weep. When, when Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who were with her also weeping, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit and greatly moved. He said, tell me where you've laid him. And they said, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. He said, see how he loved him. But others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus came again deeply disturbed to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone lying against it. He said, take the stone away. But Martha, the brother of the dead man, said, Lord, there's already a stench. 
for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed you'd see God's glory? So they took the stone away. And Jesus, looking up to heaven, said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the crowd that they may come to believe that you sent me. Then he looked into the tomb and shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were bound with strips of cloth. His face was covered in cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 11, at least most of it. That's the moment in John's gospel when everything begins to shift. It's not coincidence that John 11, the story of the raising of Lazarus, is in the very middle of John's gospel. Ten chapters precede it, ten chapters follow it. This is the moment. Everything begins to shift. This is the linchpin that would blow up Jesus' life. This is the nail in the coffin that would bury him. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows if he rolls that Lazarus stone away, he knows he will incite the hatred of religious leaders and the cruel oppression of Roman corruption and it will all come crashing down on his life. That stone he chose to roll away, he said, take away the stone, and he shouted, Lazarus, come out, is a foreshadowing of another stone that would be rolled back in a a very short order. Another grave that would find itself empty, another life, this time his own, that would rise from the dead. This is the moment that the whole story begins to shift. Before the resurrection... Lazarus' resurrection or Jesus' resurrection, before the resurrection, there is dying. There is death. There is the deceased. That's what our creed says, crucified, died, and buried. That's what the Bible says, he breathed his last. That's what we all know about our lives. We get nothing, really, in John's story of Lazarus' resurrection. We get nothing about the resurrected body. We don't, we don't get to hear him say anything. We don't get any insight onto what it was like for him to die and rise again. There's no resurrection meal with Lazarus. But we do get all kinds of time and attention to the experience of grief for the disciples and Martha and Mary and the crowd and Jesus himself. John doesn't let us get away from engaging the pain. John doesn't let us walk away from death. John doesn't use the resurrection as a crutch to avoid pain. You can't outrun death. You can't exclude sadness from your life. And John makes us face it. Five times in the very beginning sentences of this resurrection story, we we hear the word ill, 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 ill. Now Now a certain man was ill. Her brother Lazarus was ill. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, and any time the Bible repeats itself, you've got to get curious. So I looked up that word. Ostheness is in the heart language of the New Testament. It means weak, fragile, feeble, without vigor or strength. It means helpless. Helpless. Lazarus was helpless. 
And I just want to wonder with you if, if John isn't inviting us to get in touch with the sense of helplessness we sometimes realize. The big swirling world Nothing seems to change. The circumstances might move, the locations may be different, but the pain, the sadness, the brokenness, the oppression, the abuse, it just keeps seeming to happen over and over. It just seems so helpless. Have you noticed the war in Ukraine? Our, our, our cultural attention is waning. Bombs are still exploding, people are still dying. We might read a headline or pay attention to the nightly news for a short excerpt, but mostly it just seems helpless. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but the last two years have left so many people absolutely exhausted, having to spend so much time walking circles around people and covering our faces in cloth, and all of the arguments those things inspire just leave you feeling so helpless. And not just the big macro stuff, the macro stuff of the world, the the headlines and the Twitter wars, they have a way of raising the micro pains of our lives to the surface. The macro stuff draws to the surface the micro stuff. What about your heart? What about your sadness? What about your ache? Have you ever felt helpless? John won't let us get away from this resurrection story without engaging the pain, without dealing with the sadness The disciples, the the ones with Jesus, they they don't really want to go to see Lazarus. They're worried. They're distracted. They know what's going to happen if Jesus goes there again. They're worried what's going to happen to him, and by extension, they're worried what's going to happen to them. And Thomas puts a point on it. Let us also go that we may die with him. He knows what's going to happen. Sometimes when it feels helpless, you just need to do something. Let us also go. You need to manage something. You need to control something. Let us also go. Martha gets word. She runs out to meet Jesus. She just lets him have it. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's what what we do when it's overwhelming and we feel helpless. We blame and we get mad. It's the story of the garden. The woman whom you gave to be with me, we blame and we get mad when we feel helpless. All the stages of grief seem to be on full display. Then she starts to bargain with Jesus. "But, But I know, but I know, I know. God will give you whatever you ask of him. Ask of him, Jesus. Ask of him. Save my brother, Jesus. And Jesus makes this stunning statement, your brother will rise again. But Martha doesn't want a future hope. She's not looking for a theological claim. She needs present help. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day, but I need something now. And Jesus flips the script. Jesus says, I'm not talking about a future reality. I'm talking about a present person. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I am the resurrection, Martha. I am the life, Martha. I'm here. I'm not talking about just about a theological claim or just about some future hope. I'm talking about here, now, me with you. And Martha then runs to Mary. She tells her privately, the teacher is here. And he's calling for you, the message Martha received. He he wants to be with you. So Mary runs out and the Jews follow her. She runs to Jesus. What do you do when it hurts? What do you do when you feel helpless? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? You run. You run to Jesus and you fall at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, That's what we do when it hurts. Isn't that what Jesus invited us to do? Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Isn't that what he said? 
Those who are well don't need a physician. I've come to seek and save the lost. Isn't that what Isaiah prophesied? Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Come to me. Jesus says, he's calling for you. It's not just some future hope or some glorious theological claim. It's a present person here now with you. So Mary, she runs to him and she falls at his feet and she says, Lord, I get the sense Martha's angry and Mary's just sad. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You got to give her credit. If you had been here, if you had been here, you could have fixed it. You could have prevented it. You could have stopped it. You could have done something if you had been here and the crowd gets in on it too. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying if you had been here? I think we can be honest. We sometimes think the same, maybe even say the same. Lord, if you had been here, my daughter would not be racked with anxiety and depression. If you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, my child wouldn't have gotten sick. Lord, if you had been here, I'd still be doing devotions with my spouse every morning if you had been here. And Jesus says, Jesus, when he saw Mary weeping and the crowd who was with her also weeping, he was deeply disturbed in his spirit and greatly moved. Imagine that, Jesus, who's just said, I'm the resurrection. Jesus, who's just said, I'm the life. Jesus, who has the power to raise the dead, who knows who he is and what he can do, is deeply disturbed and greatly moved. And they, he says, tell me where you've laid him. And they say, come and see. And then Jesus began to weep. The resurrection weeps. The life cries. We're going to get to the, the resurrection glory in the next couple of weeks. We're going to swim in this story for a little while. But I don't want you to miss Jesus weeps with you. The resurrection cries with you. The life sheds a tear with you. John doesn't let us get away with the resurrection as a crutch to avoid the pain but invites us to stare it straight in the face because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What do you do when you feel helpless? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? You run and you fall at Jesus' feet. And what does he do? He comes to us. He weeps with us. He weeps over Ukraine. He weeps over the division. He weeps over the ache in your heart and the sadness in your life. Jesus began to weep. And I just don't want you to miss it. So uh, Rick and I were walking around the grounds uh, this past Monday, remembering our friend Steve, 56 years old, huge heart, so tender and kind, fun-loving, hard-working. He loved to play a prank, ask nearly anybody who knew him. And ALS, and three years ago, the battle with ALS ended, so we were walking around just sort of carrying our grief on our hearts, sharing it with one another. We ended up walking down to Dimnit Chapel 
clearly not aware of the rest of the world. We're just walking, feeling, grieving, celebrating his life and grateful for his impact on ours. We head into the chapel and we see all kinds of college students and people start talking to us and we're sort of distracted. It was almost out of body and we, it's just not what we were there for. So we, we kind of snuck out. And as we were leaving, we heard the chapel band singing a song. It sort of stood out to me. That song you might know. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song. And we're walking away from the chapel. And then they just started, they just kept singing the same words over. You are good, good. Oh, and they just kept singing, you are good, good. Jesus Christ, who has the power of the resurrection. Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, weeps with you in your pain. Weeps with you when it feels helpless. Weeps with you. In the sadness, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.